lovely to see you all here. Let's make a start. Welcome to our first summer seminar. We're going to be running four of these over the next four weeks. I don't know if we've done something like this before as a block. I'm looking around about making more experienced members of the church. Have we done this before as a block? Neve's shaking her head. Neve's been here for ages. Okay, in which case, uh, we'd love to know what you make of these summer seminars. We'd love to know what you think over the course of the next four weeks. Please feel free to feedback the things that you enjoy, the things that you don't think work so well, and the things that you think do work well. We're really keen for these summer seminars to be productive, to be reflective times for us as a church family, so please feed in your thoughts as we go forward. Let me just set out a few expectations for us before we go any further this evening. As I've just said, my hope is that each and every single one of us tonight will be fed, challenged, encouraged over the course of the evening. I'm aware that across our church family there's a wide range of experience when it comes to looking at these subjects. Many of us will have spent a good degree of time looking at these topics in quite a good amount of depth. That's wonderful and I hope that we can share and enjoy the wisdom of one another in discussions around the tables. I'm also aware that there will be some who will not have spent as much time looking at these topics in any degree of depth or profundity. That's also wonderful. I'm really glad that you're here this evening. I'm very pleased to be doing this in front of all of you. And my hope is that by half eight quarter tonight, we will be affirmed in what we know to be true about God's Word. We will be reminded of some things that we once knew but had perhaps forgotten. Or we'll hear something true about God's Word which refreshes us amidst all of the uncertainty that we feel and hear. Or perhaps we'll even have a few spiritual muscles stretched in a way that they haven't been previously stretched over the course of the next hour. My hope is that we leave here this evening just one step, maybe two steps, further ahead from where we were when we arrived. Maybe one or two stages deeper in our love of God and love of His Word. Does that make sense? Great, good. I can't make that happen, only God can. So before we go any further, let me stop and pause and pray and ask God for his help. Father, we ask this evening that as we consider the written word, that you would show us the living word, your son Jesus Christ. And as we study the truth of scripture, that you would give us eyes to see him, soft hearts to love him, and wills to obey him as our saviour and king. In his name we ask. Amen. Okay, you should have a bit of paper, or rather multiple sheets of paper in front of you. That's something of a handout that will help us as we go along this evening. I'll refer to it at different points along the way. The first thing you'll see at the top there is a wonderful virtuous circle within his words. What on earth do I mean by that? Well, as simply as I can put it, our knowledge of God affects our knowledge of his words. And our knowledge of his words affects our knowledge of God. So the seminar series is entitled Knowing God, and that's the role that his word plays in that process. As we listen to God's word, we understand God better. As we understand God better, we listen to his word. See, in the beginning, God graciously stoops to create humanity, and then graciously continues to speak to humanity. The idols of the world are often called dumb, 
not in the sense that they're stupid, although they are a stupid idea, but in the sense that they cannot speak in the way that our God can, and they do not speak in the way that our God does. And so throughout history, as God speaks to his people, his word is an expression of himself. He never says anything irrelevant, he never says anything superfluous, no word is wasted, but every time he speaks, he does so in a way that reveals, teaches, and shows us something of himself. So if you've got a Bible there, why not turn to Psalm 19? We looked at this recently on a Sunday morning, but let's turn to Psalm 19. So we saw, uh, as we studied the first six verses, that we can know something of God, know something of his existence, something of his majesty, something of his glory as we look around about us, the heavens, the earth. But it's only when we hear his words, it's only when we hear communication from the Lord, that his righteousness and the salvation that he offers us is revealed to us. So Psalm 19, let me read verses 7, 8, and 9. They say, the law of the Lord is perfect, Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, these are words that here describe God's word, but these are also words that throughout Scripture describe God himself. These are not any old words that any believer would ever dare to use to describe any old book. These are words that are used to describe the Lord that they worship. Perfect, sure, right, pure, enduring forever true, altogether righteous. See, as we hear his words, as we know him better, as we learn that his word is as perfect as he is, as sure as he is, as right as he is, as pure as he is, as clean, everlasting, and altogether righteous as he is, so we see how knowing God means knowing his words, and how knowing his words means knowing God. So we know that he is righteous because we know his righteous words. And we know that his word is righteous because we know our righteous God. There is an inevitable inseparability between God and the words that he speaks. And there have been many attempts over the years to try and pull these two things apart. Either to doubt God's character as we study what he says. Or to doubt whether a kind and loving God could ever really say something like that. And in order to do that, you need to break that virtuous circle, and you need to break out of that virtuous circle of knowing God, knowing his words. And that is a really unsafe place to be. It could lead any one of us into ignoring God, reimagining him, attributing characteristics and traits to him that are simply not true. It's a terrible idea. 
Instead, because we know him, we listen to him. And because we listen to him, we know him. And as we kind of spin around in that circle, I imagine like we're in a washing machine becoming cleaner and cleaner as an item of clothing has started, just having a great time. As we spin around in that circle, when God speaks, things happen in our lives. It's not just a download of information. God's word is described in Hebrews as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So from creation to salvation in our lives and into the new creation and beyond, God performs his actions, he carries out his will by speaking. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel, the declaration of God's wrath, the declaration of God's rescue, sin and salvation, that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. His words. As God speaks to us throughout salvation history, via the prophets, via the apostles, by his word today, as we read the Bible, as he speaks that into the hearts of individual believers and church families across the country and across the world, in his word he reaches into our lives and extracts people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his son. So we go from a cycle of spiritual death and spiritual deafness, spiritual death and spiritual deafness, into a new cycle of spiritual life and spiritual listening, spiritual life and spiritual listening. The more we listen, the more we live. The more we live, the more we listen. It really is a wonderful cycle to be caught up in. And that's our landscape for this evening. We are those who are rescued by God through his word, those who are here this evening because we want to know God better by knowing his words better and want to know his words better by knowing God better. That's something of an introduction from me for the moment. Plenty of things for us to discuss off the back of that, but I want us to knock around a few possible questions or objections at this stage. And what I'd love for us to do is to turn in our tables and discuss the following comments or questions I've written down there on the first page. These are all paraphrases or questions, conversations I've had over the past few years. There will be live questions or in the church family, I'm sure. There will be questions that I'm sure you'll have had from time to time, I have from time to time. These are conversations that we will have with Christians inside this church family and outside. And so what I'd love for us to do is just for the next 10 minutes, take each of these statements, ask whether or not there's any truth in what they say, why they might think what they think, and how we might respond. So is there any truth? Why do they think that? How might we respond? Let me just read them out for us, so that you guys don't have to do that in your tables. The first one is, why as a Christian do I need to read God's word every day? People say to me, well, why wouldn't you want to? But it's so much easier when someone explains it to me on a Sunday, or at life group on a Wednesday or a Thursday. I find it hard to know what it says when I'm on my own. That's my first person. Second person, I know I'm supposed to enjoy God's word as a Christian, and I read it most days of the week. But I cannot find that spark that others seem to talk about when it comes to reading the Bible. It's a tedious process for me at the moment. That's person number two. Person number three says, You're a Christian who takes the Bible really seriously, and that's great, but I'm a Christian who first loves Jesus. 
That's how I know my relationship with God. It's how God intended us to live as his people. And then verse number four. The Bible just seems bitty at points. I know it's supposed to tell one big story, but there are some passages, genres, and books that seem to be something of a tangent. And it's hard to see Jesus in those parts. So I'll give you guys ten minutes. Discuss those statements in groups where we might be sympathetic. What sort of advice and wisdom we might want to offer. If you feel like the table is just slightly too big, feel free to break it down into threes and fours. And also, please do take a look at everybody at your table and make sure you know everybody's name before you begin discussing. So, okay, let's wrap up conversations there. Let me draw us back together. That stimulated some good chat in your groups and got your conversational juices flowing. From experience, seminars like this always benefit from a really, really catchy acronym, something that will really stick in your memory. Let's go over the page. Here's mine. God's word is nistal. No end to my task. God's word is nistal. There are many, many other things that God's word is, many other ways that we could describe God's word and what it does that we just do not have time to cover. But here are five big things for us to take away this evening as we learn about knowing God through the greatness of his word. I'm going to rattle through these very quickly. First there on the table then, God's word is necessary. God's word is necessary for us to have a relationship with him and necessary for our salvation. Uh, Back in your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, the verse that I've listed there. Um, I've got it as page 996 in the Black Bible, that may not be correct. If it's incorrect, somebody please correct me. But I think it's page 996. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. We're just going to do a little bit of finger flicking over the course of the next 10 minutes, and I can only apologise for that. But I will stop, and there will be a chance to reflect and chat on things, chat about things in 10 minutes, time or so. Maybe 15 minutes, Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. The scriptures there are described by the Apostle Paul as the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now we've touched on this already, I know, but without God's word, we are not wise for salvation. We might know of his existence through the world in which we live, but we wouldn't have a relationship with him. Without his spoken assessment of our hearts, we cannot know the depths of our own sin. Without his spoken gospel, we cannot know the power of his salvation. Without his spoken commandments, we can't obey him. Without his spoken promises, we wouldn't know anything about his character, his personality. We wouldn't have the hope that we do of a new creation. And so as we read his word, he actively reveals to us our sins actively brings us to repentance and salvation through faith in Jesus. He actively teaches us about who he is, teaches us about the relationship that we can have with him. He teaches us how to live a gospel life, to share the gospel with others. And all of these things, the necessity of God's word, that's one of the big reasons why we as a church family, when we gather together on a Sunday, we want God's word to be center stage as it pierces us when we study it together. It's why in a small group, 
It's why in a one-to-one we open God's word, we read it, it's why we scatter the word in our evangelism. It's not because we're old-fashioned, it's not because we're boring in our technique, it's not because we're studious, bookish types. It's because in the very word of God, we are made wise for salvation as we know God through what he says to us. That's something I want for me, it's something I want for you, it's something I want for the world. So when we are together at church, I am going to open up the Bible because it's necessary to do so and I'm not going to apologise for doing so. That's the first thing we see, God's word is necessary for salvation. The second thing on the grid there is that God's word is inerrant. So if it's true, as we saw earlier on, that God's word is an expression of himself, inseparable from who he is, then it stands to reason that the Bible is as true as God is. So as God is without error, so the Bible is without error. As God is without fault, so the Bible is without fault. God doesn't make a mistake, neither does his word. So if you still have your Bibles open, just flip over a couple of pages to 2 Peter chapter 1. I think it's on page 1018. But again, if I've got that wrong, please let me know. Second Peter chapter one. Uh, let me read from verse nineteen rather than from verse twenty. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Scripture is something that has simply been invented by man over the course of a number of years. It's not something that's been an invention of humanity. But as we think of the prophets, as we think of the apostles, men spoke from God as they were carried by the Spirit. And that means that there is a human author of each book that we read, and it's really, really important for us to understand what the author is trying to do as the author writes the book that the author writes. But there is a divine author who hasn't just supervised or superintended these words, but has spoken these words through the individuals who wrote them down. There's a human author, but there is a divine author. The divine author is God. That means that his word is inerrant. Now, there may be moments when different gospels arrange different things in a certain order, where numbers throughout God's word are rounded up or down, when our creative world is described poetically rather than scientifically. But when it comes to the story of God and his salvation, both the Old and New Testaments combine inerrantly to tell the one coherent, cohesive story of creation, the fall of man, the promise of salvation, the arrival of Jesus, the guarantee of his return. And so if there's an issue with an understanding of a text or a verse or a passage, that lies with me. That lies with my heart rather than with the Lord and his word. My heart is errant in a way that his word is not. That's the second thing for us to see. God's word is inerrant. Thirdly, God's word is sufficient. So if we are to flip back in our Bibles now to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We could have gone to Revelation, but let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I've got it on page 148. 
page 148, I think, Deuteronomy chapter 4. God's people stand on the cusp of the promised land here, just before they enter. And God speaks to his people through Moses and says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land of the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you. So sufficiency here, in our understanding of God's word this evening, sufficiency means that we have all the words of God that we need for us to place our trust in him to enter our promised land, which is the new creation. We do not need more than the Bible to know God and obey him. We certainly do not need less than the Bible to know God and to obey him. We dare not store any bits out of it. We dare not rip any pages or passages out because we deem them to be irrelevant or no longer necessary. We dare not add to it. We dare not subtract from it. And we will study and teach all of it. Not just the familiar bits, not just the accessible bits, but we'll do a sermon series on Joel as a church family. We'll study Ecclesiastes in our life groups on a Wednesday. We'll teach Haggai to our students. We'll do sermons on Second John, etc., etc. Because the whole of God's word is sufficient for us to know him and to obey him. And it also means that everything sits under the sufficiency of God's word. There are other sources that are useful to us as Christians, our experiences, wisdom that we can pass on to others who are in similar situations to ourselves. You've got elders here at the church steering us and guiding us as a church family down paths of righteousness as they serve under Jesus. But all of these other sources, all of these under authorities, they bow the knee to God and to his words. They all sit under the authority of scripture. And so we must never appeal to our own thinking or appeal to anything else at the expense of God's sufficient word. His word takes centre stage in every session meeting, every staff meeting, every sermon, every study, every song in the life of the church family. That's the sufficiency of God's word. Fourthly, God's word is clear. There is an unfortunate understanding for our history at certain times that everyday Christians should not read the Bible, since only certain people in church hierarchy could properly understand it, and it was their job to pass on the truth to other believers. And God's Word would very simply disagree with that practice and disagree with that principle. And that is something that we're certainly not trying to do as a church family. We don't want to suggest for a minute that everything in the Bible is simple. Some things are by their own confession hard to understand. But what we want to say is what those words in Deuteronomy and Romans say. Just flick on to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, post-word Deuteronomy. I think it's page 172, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And let me read verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 13. The Lord says, For this commandment that I command you today is not hard for you to do, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, 
that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, well, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the very word, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And these verses are the verses that Paul picks up on in Romans chapter 10 to make exactly the same point. There is an accessibility to God's word for everyone. It is clear. We want to say that the word of God is near to you and near to me. The message of salvation in his word is sufficiently clear that all of us can understand it. By reading it ourselves, by studying it in a group, by coming to a summer seminar, or by listening to a sermon. And so what we want for you, what we want for one another, what we want for ourselves, is to read God's word for ourselves with clarity. The best moments for me during a, a Bible study or after a sermon is when you hear someone say something like, oh yeah, as I read those verses, uh, I found it really, really clear and really obvious. I'd never understood those verses until now, but as we were looking at them there and reading them there, it's just really clear what they say. That's, that's amazing. I now understand it in a way that I didn't before. We shouldn't expect everyone to understand everything that the Bible says what they want. And we need God's help by His Spirit to understand His Word. But as I grow as a Christian, it's my new spiritual eyes that adjust as I blink to the clarity of God's Word. Rather than the Word of God becoming clearer and clearer to my already perfect vision. In fact, one early church writer um, named Augustine said that the Bible is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. And I think that's a really, really helpful way of looking at the clarity of God's Word. Sometimes we splash around in the shallow end, sometimes we dive a bit deeper, and either way we very much enjoy the swim. God's Word is clear. And then finally, before we go back into groups just to have a bit more chit-chat with each other, uh, God's Word is lovely. God's Word is lovely. Let me read out a few verses from Psalm 119. Do turn with me down your Bibles. It's page 513. Oppose the Lord and oppose his followers. 
See, the psalmist finds the word of God lovely because in those words he sees the steadfast love of the Lord, kind enough to save him, powerful enough to save all his people, faithful enough to keep his promises of salvation to the end. He loves the commandments of the Lord because he loves the Lord and he loves what the Lord does. And again this year I've seen moments when people have read the word of the Lord and found it to be lovely as they better understand different aspects of God and different aspects of the gospel. I've heard people say in Bible studies or after sermons on Sunday, I really love that verse of the Psalm. It just reminded me of this particular part of God's character. I really love how those verses help me as a Christian during really hard moments in my life. They're verses that I often cling to. We're not idolizing God's word. We're simply reading it, studying it in a way that allows our gaze to shift onto Christ, to see that our God is as lovely as the words that he speaks, and the words that he speaks are as lovely as he is. God's word is lovely. There you go. God's word is mystical. And I'm only two minutes behind the schedule, so I'm doing really, really well here. Let's turn in groups just one last time before we then pray together at the end of our seminar this evening. Turn over the page with me. And I've been desperately trying hard to save these verses until now. These really are the kind of knockout verses for me when it comes to looking at everything we've been looking at tonight. Um, let me just read those verses out for us. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. There's a few questions underneath that we'll discuss. We're kind of halfway down the page there. Um, let me read the verses first, and then I'll, I'll stick us into our groups for maybe kind of 15 minutes as we look at these verses together. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, four questions to think about then. What big points does Paul make to Timothy in these verses? Just kind of data collection, what do you guys see? What are the big points? Secondly, in what ways do we see some of the things we've been looking at already this evening? The necessity, the inerrancy, the sufficiency, the clarity, the loveliness of Scripture in these verses. Thirdly, what does the Word of God do to us as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate on it? What does that look like in our lives as individuals? What does it look like in the life of a church family and standards? And then those things that the Word of the Lord does, why do these things matter? Why are they so important for us? Does that make sense? Are you still with me? Excellent stuff. Okay, back in your groups. 10, 15 minutes, and then I'll close back together for some concluding thoughts, and then we'll break each other. Through our discussions to close there, just a couple of little observations I had as I was prepping this earlier on this week. Uh, Verse 14, continue in what you have learned. Uh, Scriptures are sufficient. Timothy doesn't need to move on to level two beyond the scriptures. He stays in the scriptures and continues in those. And from childhood, he was taught them at a young age. Uh, I think that speaks to the clarity uh, of scripture. And many of our kids can understand God's word for themselves, and so we teach it to them clearly. We teach it to one another clearly. It's accessible for us all to, to know them and to learn them. Uh, scriptures, sacred writing scripture, able to make you wise for salvation. We touched on the necessity of God's word earlier on. 
in all scripture breathed out by God, profitable for teaching and reproof, that just about covers every single category that we were looking at earlier on. Necessary for teaching, in error that it's all scripture is saying the one thing, clear clarity, and Timothy can turn to his church and teach it in his context sufficiently that Timothy doesn't need anything else to grow his church in the gospel. Um, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Well, that's, that's our aim, isn't it, as believers, every single one of us. And so we love God's lovely word. Uh, as I say, there's loads more that could be said, and please do carry on the conversations that have begun over the course of the next uh, few days and weeks if, if that would be profitable for you all to do that. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. I'd love to hear your questions, so please come up and chat to me afterwards. Uh, I'll be sticking around for a little bit, so please take advantage of that if you'd like to. Uh, let me pray for us all together before we leave this evening. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you that as we read it and study it, we can know you. And thank you, Father, that as we know you better and better, we know to trust your word and we know to read it and study it. And so, Father, we pray that as we leave this evening, you would encourage us and you would shape our hearts to be those who regularly read and study your word, to find a real joy in doing so, uh, to love you and to love your words. All these things, Father, we pray for our salvation, for your glory, and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.